Welcome to Words of Truth. Jesus said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And we'll end our reading there. Uh, forgiving my mistakes, that's 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 11. And really today, uh, we'll be expounding upon one verse that God has uh, weighed heavily on our hearts, and that's the 10th verse. And I want to read that again. It says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Um, that is a verse that I would encourage each of you to retain to memory. It is one that would be good for us to have on the forefront of our minds and hearts, that we are able to uh, uh, have it, the Spirit bring it back to our hearts in times of need uh, and in times where we need encouragement. John, writing here in the fourth chapter, uh, in this uh, group of verses that we read, was giving an exhortation to the children of God to love one another. And within the midst of this exhortation of God's people to love one another, he gave us an example of the highest expression of love. The truest and unmatched expression of love, and that's what we want to talk about today. If I had to title my message today, it would be, Herein is Love. Herein is Love. And clearly you could see where I found that there is the first three words of the 10th verse. What John was saying is, here is love. Here is the greatest manifestation of love that has ever been. Here is the greatest love that can ever be known. It is the highest expression of love. It is unmatched and it is unprecedented in the world. So John says, herein is love. This is the highest expression of love. And in view and in understanding of this highest and unprecedented display of love, we should be drawn to love God deeper and to love one another deeper. So what is this love that John was talking about? And it has to do with this word propitiation. And uh, I'm sure as I say that word today, uh, there's some confused looks. For some of us that have been church in church a long time, we've probably heard it before. Uh, but for many of us, it might be a new word or a word that we don't understand. It sounds like it's a highfalutin word, maybe a pretentious word, right? Uh, propitiation. No one really uses that today. Uh, I can tell you as a high school teacher that the kids don't sit around talking about their day and their social life and the word propitiation come up very much. Um, it's not used a whole lot. But on the same instance, it's a very good word. And I'll tell you this, a lot of the modern translations, and I'm not opposed to many of those translations, I think that they're good, uh, but they change this word propitiation, and I feel like they do a disservice to it in trying to make it understandable and using words that we know. They kind of take away from the meaning in which it has. And I want to talk about that word today as the central focus of what we're talking about, because in this 
this unprecedented manifestation of love came in the form of propitiation. So what does this word mean? I wrote down a definition that I think is helpful to us. It says propitiation is the act of appeasing wrath and gaining the favor of an offended person. Let me read that again and try to follow along. Propitiation is the act of appeasing wrath and gaining the favor of an offended person. So you can think about that and kind of put it into your own terms, your own words. Uh, But if someone was offended or someone is angry towards another, that that offended person, if you propitiate them, you appease their wrath. So their anger or their wrath that they were showing towards uh, something or someone has been appeased, that has been settled. Something has been done, propitiation has taken place to where that wrath or anger has been settled and the one that was offended has now been brought back into favor with the one that caused the offense in the first place. That is what propitiation means and it is a great biblical word and it is a great word of salvation. And it's what John uses as describing an unprecedented and unmatched form of love. Propitiation. So the question is, who's offended? Right? If someone had to be propitiated, if propitiation took place, then there has to be someone who had wrath or had anger, who is offended, and who needs propitiation in the first place. And the Bible answers that question. Uh, If you look at Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 and 19, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So the biblical answer to who is offended or who has wrath is God is the offended party. God has wrath towards godlessness and wickedness and sin. So now that's not a popular thing to talk about. I remember once when I was in college, uh, we had a a place at our college, many colleges have these uh, speaker circles or these areas within the, the, the college campus where people can speak, that they can share their ideas freely without persecution. And many times uh, uh, street preachers would come and they would preach within this, this square that there was there on that campus. And there was a man there preaching and he was preaching about the wrath and the anger of God and how men uh, were going to spend eternity in hell because of their sins and he was going about that. And I don't agree actually with all that, that he was doing and the way that he was doing it or if it was the most effective way. But I remember talking to one of my classmates and he said he was very angry at what the man was doing. And, uh, and this, this friend of mine in class, uh, you know, he proclaimed to be a Christian and he said, I just don't agree with him. I think he's missing the whole point, right? God is love. And he kept talking about how God is love and that God isn't like that and God isn't like that. And he was so concerned with what he was saying. And even though I didn't agree totally with the man and how he was portraying the things of God, I did agree with the fact that God is a God of wrath. And as unpopular as a subject as it is, it is one that is talked about from the first of this cover to the end of the cover of this scripture that God has been made angry, that God has been offended, and God is a God of wrath. And that wrath is being displayed towards wickedness and ungodliness in this world. That's Bible. And it's unpopular, but it's true. 
And what I want you to see is that this scripture is about love. And the greatest manifestation of love that has ever been made known to this world is in what God has done for us. But let me tell you this, that there is not a, a, there is a, excuse me, there is not an incongruity against God's wrath and God's love. That they exist at the same time and harmoniously together. And I want us to understand that. So who is offended? God is offended. And I want you to understand a little bit about how he is, right? Because people have a hard time coming to grasp with that. How can the God of benevolence and the God of love be such a God of anger at the same time? And I don't know about you, but when I go into conversations with my colleagues and the people at my work, this is one of the first things they bring up. Well, do you believe in a benevolent God? or a God of, of, of fire and brimstone, right? Do you believe in a God of, of mercy and forgiveness, or do you believe in a, a God of anger and a God of wrath? And they'll ask that question with the understanding within their own heads that those two things cannot coexist, and they're often surprised when I say, I believe in a God of both of those things. I believe in a God of justice. I believe in a God of holiness. But at the same time, I believe in a God of grace and a God of mercy. And the beautiful thing of the Holy Scripture, the beautiful thing of the gospel is it takes those things that the world can't see has anything to do with each other and ties them together beautifully in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what John is talking about here. So... God is a God of justice. God is a God of anger. And God has wrath. But, but there's a difference between the wrath of man and the wrath of God. And it's important to understand that today. What is God's anger? Is it like my anger? No, it's not. And I think that's where people have the hardest time wrapping their minds around this idea of God's anger is that the way that they associate anger is the way that they feel anger. But God doesn't experience anger like we do. And it's important to understand that. Let's first think about the way that we experience anger. I am irritable. <laughs> if my wife was here this morning, you might hear an amen. I get upset sometimes, right? One day I could have the most patience in the world and I could be calm and I could be a patient, and I could be merciful. And the very next day, whether it was because I had a lack of sleep or something was happening in my life, I could be very irritable and set off in a moment, right? Just fly off the handle with the smallest of things and grow angry over something I never should have been angry over in the first place. My anger is inconsistent, right? It... it <laughs> You know, I try to work on those things, and as, as people, we do. We try to be patient and loving, but at the same time, in our flesh, sometimes we're just irritable. We're inconsistent. We lose our temper, right? To us, anger is losing our temper. It's someone on the road pulling in front of you and you yelling and cursing at them because of, of what they've done, right? The injustice that they've brought against you, and you lose your temper, and you're yelling at people, and you're angry at them. And that's what we see anger to be in our heads, but I want us to understand, and I think it is so very important that we understand this today, that while God is angry, God is not angry like that. God's anger is not like man's anger. God, now listen to this. I think this is the most important part to understand. God's anger is arised by one thing and one thing only. God's anger is arised by sin, by evil. And that's it. It is consistent. It is uncompromising. 
but it is arised by that one thing and that one thing only. It is not as if God is irritable or has a bad temper and one day something he has patience with and the next day he gets very angry at something. No, he is consistent and stable and unchanging and God is holy and it is very part of his nature that when sin or wickedness arises, it arises a righteous anger within our God. You see the difference this morning? In the irritability and the, uh, the ever-changing anger of you and I, God is consistent, He is uncompromising, and He never changes, and He has a very righteous response to sin and evil in this world. He's holy. Holiness means that you're separated from sin. God will not look upon sin. God cannot be around sin or have any kind of compromising or negotiation with sin. His very nature causes righteous indignation at the very idea of sin. Sin arises the wrath of God, and it is that and that alone which makes God angry. Consistent, steady, unrelenting, uncompromising reaction to sin and evil in the world. So, if propitiation is the act of appeasing wrath, if it's the act of of calming that wrath down, then first of all, we understand that the offended party, the one that is angry, is God, our Creator and our Maker. He is angry with sin and wickedness in the world. So, now it brings us to this question, is who has... Sin, right? Where is sin? If God has been made angry, if God has wrath within him towards sin, then where is this sin located in which God has wrath to? I think we find the answer to that throughout our scriptures, but I want to read Ephesians chapter 2 and a couple verses there. Uh, Ephesians 2, 2 and 3. Now listen. It says, Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." So Paul, addressing the church at Ephesus, talking about the wondrous work of salvation that God works inside of the unbeliever, says, listen, we all were once in our sins, right? He doesn't cut any corners. He says, me, you, all of us, in verse 3 there, says, among whom also we all had our conversation, our life in times past was in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and our mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. And you could translate that the objects of wrath. We are the objects or the children of God's wrath. And we are that because God has a righteous indignation, a righteous anger towards sin, and sin, brothers and sisters, is in with us. It's in us, and that's what the Bible teaches us. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that is righteous. No, not one. So it is our sin that has raised the anger and the wrath of God, and in the lust of our flesh, we are the objects of the wrath of God. Now that's a doctrine you don't hear a lot in a lot of modern religion today. 
In a lot of contemporary religion, they won't talk about that because it's an uncomfortable thing to think about, but it's a reality today that the wrath of God is arised by sin and sin is found in our hearts. I'm sure some of you right now are thinking, I thought this was titled, Herein is Love. It is. Because the question is, who initiated propitiation? Right? Propitiation is the appeasement of that wrath. It is the bringing of the one who is offended back in fellowship with that who is offended. So, what is this propitiation? Who has initiated it? Who made it happen? Right? That God's wrath towards sin could be appeased, that could be settled, that he was offended and could be brought back in fellowship with the one who has offended him in the first place. Who has initiated that? Is it us? Have we been able to offer gifts and sacrifices? Have we been able to do enough religious ceremony to be able to go before God and appease His wrath and His anger? That is the, the pagan gods of this world. That is the movies. That is the paganism that is in this world that somehow we could offer God something so good that it would appease His wrath and His anger. That is not the message of Scripture. And that is not the message that we read today. Listen, we will be consumed by the wrath of God unless propitiation is made, unless the appeasement of His wrath is settled. Listen, listen to our text again, verse 10. Herein is love. The greatest expression and manifestation of love is not that we loved God, but that He loved us. You understand that today? God sent His Son into the world to die for our sins, not because we loved Him and He was responding to our love towards Him. No, it was quite the contrary. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us despite of our wickedness, despite of our sin despite of the wrath that was caused within him because of our sin and because of our condemnation, God initiated propitiation. God initiated reconciliation himself because he loved us and not because we loved him. Listen today. We pray and we say that we love God and we sing songs about how we love God and want to bring him praise. Our love for God can only be a response to him first loving us. That's what John's telling us. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And the only reason, brothers and sisters, that we can sit here today with a genuine love for God and a genuine love for one another is because God loved us and He initiated propitiation Himself. Think about that. That's an awesome truth of the gospel. That God was the one who was offended Yet at the same time, God was the one that appeased his own wrath. <laughs> we would have no hope. We would have no salvation. We would have nothing unless God, even though that he had justice and even though that he is holy and even though that he was made angry and he was offended by the sin that was within us in the midst of that sin he sent his son to die for our sins he loved us when there was nothing about us to be loved God loved us so it was God that initiated the, the appeasement of his own wrath 
That is the beautiful message of the gospel. Think about the Garden of Eden, and I know I've shared this thought with you before, but I, I just love it, right? What happened when Adam sinned? What did he do? Did he go running after God to try to appease the wrath that he would have because he, he failed, he sinned, there was wickedness in his heart? Did he run to God and try to make things right? No. What did Adam do? They went and hid behind a tree. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. They tried to run away from the presence of God. And that is the very nature of mankind today. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And we run away from the light and we hide from the light because it reveals the sin of our hearts. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They ran from the presence of God. They hid behind trees. They covered themselves with fig, fig leaves. And what happened? Did God forsake them? Did God cast them off because of their sin? Because he would have been just in doing so. No, in God's grace and in God's mercy, he came walking in the midst of the garden and saying, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And he knew where Adam was, but he was trying to well within Adam's heart to consider what he was doing, running from the presence of God when he should be running to the presence of God. And it was God that initiated that reconciliation. It was God that initiated it. He came walking in the midst of the garden. He came searching for Adam. Aren't you thankful that we serve a searching God today? That he's not off hiding in some corner and we have to try to do all these religious things and we have to go through this great, great ordeal to find him. No, he's come. He's revealed himself and he's saying, here I am. I play hide and seek with my daughter sometimes. I'm sure many of you have done that. Um, I'll tell you this, it's not hard. <laughs> If you've ever played hide-and-seek with a little girl, um, I count to 20. She goes and hides. She's getting a little better at hiding. She used to hide right in the middle of everything, and that was really easy. Now she at least gets a good hiding place. But as I go and I try to find her, as I'm searching for her, I'll say, well, she's not in the bathroom. And I'll hear a <laughs> And I'll say, well, she's not under the table. And laughter just bursts forward, right? She's not very good at hiding. <laughs> and you know why she's not? Because she wants me to find her. She finds this great joy in her dad finding her. So she makes herself known. She reveals her place. She chuckles and she laughs. And she giggles. And when I find her, she wraps her arms around me because she wants me to find her. She finds joy in that. I hope you can see the analogy I'm trying to make here. Yes, we search for God and yes, we pray for God, but God desires to be found and he initiated the reconciliation in the first place. He sent his son into the world and he stands with open arms waiting for you to come to him. He's revealed himself in our minds and in our consciousness. He's revealed himself in his creation. He's revealed himself in his word and he's revealed himself in his son and he's saying, here am I. And today, if you're here and you're lost today and you've never known God, he's standing right in front of your face saying, come to me. He initiated the reconciliation. He initiated the propitiation himself. <laughs> the last question is, so what was the propitiatory sacrifice? What was the propitiation? What was the sacrifice that appeased the wrath of God? And I think we know the answer to that. He says, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. As Christ hung, hung upon that cross on the hill of Golgotha, and he experienced the physical pain of, of the beatings and the crown of thorns as the nails drove through his hands and through his feet, as they beat him and scourged him, as they mocked him, and he felt the emotional pain that came with that, the greatest pain that he felt was that the wrath of God towards sin was poured out on Jesus Christ. It was poured out on his son. That righteous indignation that is arised by sin and wickedness was poured out upon a man that had never had a wicked thought or deed in his life. But as we quote so often, he became sin that knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says that Jesus became sin for us, yet he knew no sin. The Bible says that he became a curse for us. The Bible says that he suffered the just for the unjust. In Isaiah 53, uh, just a couple verses, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Did you hear that? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I used to have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. How could God be pleased that his son was being bruised? That his son was experiencing pain and the wrath of God poured out upon him? It wasn't pleasing in that his son had to suffer. It was pleasing in that it satisfied the justice and holiness of God. Right? Jesus was making propitiation. That's the word. God was pleased with the sacrifice of his son. He's saying when Jesus was there and he said it was finished, it was that he fulfilled the will of the Father. He carried out the exact will of the Father and allowed the, the, the wrath towards sin of this world was poured out upon him that his people one day would come to have uh, salvation in him and in him alone. God, the Lord was pleased to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Christ was the propitiation for our sin. Herein is love. That God loved us, not that we loved him. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, that was found in the midst of some verses that were encouraging and exhorting God's people to love one another. And if God showed that kind of unprecedented, unmatched love to us, and if we've experienced that in the person of Jesus Christ, then should we not be the most loving people in the world towards each other and towards this world?